0: He went to him and asked him to come down and heal his son, for he was at the point of death. So Jesus said to him, unless you see signs and wonders, you will not believe. The official said to him, sir, come down before my child dies. Jesus said to him, go, your son will live. The man believed the word that Jesus spoke to him and went on his way. As he was going down, his servants met him and told him that his son was recovering. So he asked them the hour when he began to get better, and they said to him, Yesterday, at the seventh hour, the fever left him. The father knew that was the hour when Jesus had said to him, Your son will live. And he himself believed in all his household. This was now the second sign that Jesus did when he had come from Judea to Galilee. This is the word of the Lord. You may be seated.
1: Hey, aloha. Uh, Aloha. That's one of five Hawaiian words I know so that's all I'm going to do. It's amazing being here. I'm so grateful to be here. It's amazing, the faces and, and the people. Pastor Fuji is completely right that uh, we hardly studied. I remember volleyball more than I remember the classes that we took, but to, see, to come here, to, to, to be here with you, because I saw... The the you know for you Sam and Sue have always been together, but I saw Sam and Sua when they were like mad awkward around each other, and he was trying to court her. And before, you know, she loved him, and you could see the you know fireworks in action. It was it's amazing to 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 be here and to see now you their spiritual children, because uh, God is good, and I could see his fingerprints over the ministry. When I saw that video, I, 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 you don't understand what's happening right now, but all these things are converging. And wherever you are as a church, you think you are as Wellspring, just buckle up because Pastor Sam and Pastor Fuji together are gonna, like, I know God is doing something in Wellspring because he's brought these two men together to do crazy stuff. That's all I remember about Gordon Conwell is crazy stuff. <laughs> And some crazy stuff's going to happen here at Wall Street. I want to do something kind of completely out of the ordinary that's not uh, planned, but can I have uh, everyone that's going to Villa Franca come up here? I know, I, I know that Elizabeth asked for prayer. I want to pray right now. Is that okay? Can we, can, we, can, we, can we ask you guys to all come up just real quick? Uh, you guys have probably done this already. They're leaving this Wednesday. And it was a common practice in the church in the past and in the present to lay hands on uh, missionaries when they're sent out. And so I only have two hands, so I want you guys to lay hands. I want you guys to reach out your hands to pray for them as we pray for this team as they go and bring the gospel to Spain. Did you hear what Elizabeth said? One percent of Spain believes in the Lord Jesus Christ, one percent. And so I'm going to pray as she asked us to pray. Let's all bow our heads and let's all pray together. God, I thank you so much for this amazing team. You know, Lord, I say they're amazing, but I really don't know if they're amazing. Like Elizabeth, when she was a middle schooler, some of them may want to go just to eat paella. Some of them may have no idea why they're going, but you know, and you are sending them out to be your hands and feet. And so I pray as she asks to pray that all the logistics of getting there, that that would not get in the way of their mission, that everything would s- flow smoothly and the things that don't flow smoothly, that they would see your hands and they would see the reasons why there are challenges to going. Lord, I-, I pray for the English camp. I pray that all the wonderful things that happened at the kids camp this week would just translate over to your gospel being presented with clarity and with power to the, the children that they ministered to over there in Spain, Lord, we we pray that Villafranca would become a light, a, a light in a very dark place, and that uh, that light would not just shine on the, the Spanish, but it would shine on these high schoolers, especially who are going. That this would open their eyes up to your kingdom, yes. and that they would really seek your kingdom and your righteousness before anything else, before getting into a college or getting into a relationship or having the things that this world would tell them is important. May they put you first. And may this missions trip help to go toward that end. Lord, I pray that every member would come back home with a greater love for Jesus. As they preach Jesus, may they preach it to their own hearts and may their hearts continue to grow and transform. We send this team out and we thank you, God. What would cause people to to take time out of their busy, busy schedule to go to a place like Spain? It's the gospel a gospel that transformed them, and may that, now that gospel transform Spain. We thank you and pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. 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 <laughs> all right, I didn't prepare a sermon. That's all I got. Let's all pray together. <laughs> no, when Pastor Sam asked me to, pray, uh, to prepare a sermon, the first question I asked him was, what have you been preaching on? Uh, I I should say, when he asked me to preach, I said yes without consulting my wife. Uh, Thank God it's Father's Day, so I get a pass. (laughs) And for all of you fathers out there, I want to start by saying, uh, Happy Father's Day. It may not be, you know, I'm preaching. Some of you fathers may have gotten like your 15th bottle of Old Spice. I don't know what it is. Some of you may be struggling with Father's Day. For myself... Father's Day was really tough for 25 years because I lost my father when I was 14. Uh, He died, and so for a very long time until actually I became a father, Father's Day was a really tough day. And so I could understand that Father's Day today may not be a day to celebrate, but I pray that as we go through this passage, really God would focus your eyes on our Heavenly Father and that that would just bring joy and peace and healing, especially for those of you who are struggling with that. We we continue our look into the Gospel of John into John chapter four. You spent the past three weeks going over the the woman at the well, at, in, in, at, from, in Samaria. What Jesus Jesus is of Nazareth northern like Israel area and for Passover he traveled all the way down to Jerusalem to celebrate Passover and he kind of entered into ministry right before then he went to Cana turned the water into wine he goes down to Jerusalem and he does these signs and wonders we don't know what they are they just mentioned that Jesus all of a sudden people started hearing about Jesus and experiencing who Jesus was and after he does that he's going back home he passed through Samaria And you've heard about what he did there with the woman at the well. All People from her whole town come to faith in him. And now he comes back to Galilee. It's really interesting. In this this passage, it starts with saying that Jesus knew. And Jesus had experienced that he had no honor in his hometown. But he still comes back. Which is, I I, I don't know about you, but I, I, I tend to avoid places that don't welcome me, that don't this is going to sound strange, that don't, don't honor me. Like if, if Pastor Sam said, hey, can you come to my church and uh, clean up after our kids' camp? I'd be like, well, what? Uh, don't you want me to do something else? Well, you know, you've got two hands. Go clean up and take out the trash. And you know, that, that would be like, okay, I don't, I don't know how to feel about that. Jesus knew exactly what the people thought of him. And things had changed a little bit because we read that the Galileans were with him in Jerusalem, some of them. And as they made their way up, they were telling people in Galilee that Jesus is able to do signs. But these are the same people. If you read about in in Mark 6 and in Matthew 13, these are the same people who were saying, Jesus, how does he talk with such authority? We know his brothers and sisters. Isn't he a carpenter's son? They had this impression of him. And and so Jesus is entering into a very weird situation. And uh, while he's up there, while he's in Cana, there's an official from Capernaum who hears about Jesus, who's got a dying child, and says, I've got to go and and see this Jesus. And so he travels the distance to Cana. It's about 17 miles from Capernaum to Cana, and he comes and he asks Jesus for help. I've got three points I wanna go with you over this passage today, and it's essentially I wanted to talk, to, first of all, about a contemptible familiarity, secondly, a, a father's desperation, and lastly, a, a faithless healing. I've already started talking about this contemptible familiarity. Everyone thought they knew who Jesus was, right? I, I tell this story when uh, I met up with Sam and Sua yesterday for lunch and, he asked my my oldest son, Eli. He said, Eli, don't all your friends think your dad is so funny? And you should have seen the face he gave. He was just like, What? Like, like my dad? Hank Hom? Funny? I mean, re- <laughs> <I> re- <laughs> because I'm not funny. You know what I am? That's not the word he would do. describe your dad, Eli. He would say, Corny? Maybe, right? On a good day, I'd be corny. He would not say funny. There was this one time we were with another friend of ours. Uh, his friend Uriah's dad, and I guess I was trying to act funny. And and he said this. He was like, Dad, what are you trying to do, man? And I was like, what do you mean? He's like, you're acting all weird. He's like, what do you mean? He's like, you're trying to act cool, Dad. Stop. And I was like, I am cool, Eli. And he would not believe me. And there was a certain, I don't know what to say. There was a certain familiarity. There was a certain, like my son, thinks he knows me and he does he knows me but as a dad but he he his perception of who I am led him to not be able to see me any other way and leads him to treat me a certain way so he doesn't ever joke around with me because I'm not funny. I'm corny and whenever I'm around his his friends like the other day at the mall like I I would literally I'd be like Eli, it's me your dad like this was this was Eli you know just <laughs> I don't know that man, he's a weirdo, he's definitely not my dad, that's this is what was going on with Jesus. He was in his hometown and he knew he had no honor. He knew that people were not thinking of him in, in, in the, the best light, especially in the most accurate light, if at best they were viewing him a certain way, they were viewing him as someone that they could manipulate or use to their advantage. This official had a need. His son was sick. He had heard that Jesus could do something about it. So what does the official do? The official treats Jesus the way he would treat anyone else who he could use under his authority. He goes to Jesus and says, Jesus, my son is sick. Come and heal him. 17 miles When we read this passage, you don't realize what he's asking of Jesus. He's asking Jesus to take at least a day-long trip to go and heal his son without even batting an eye. Not even a please, not even a, you know, I'm so sorry to ask you. It was just a, my son is sick, come. And Jesus says, well, and I'll get to what he says in a second. But we treat Jesus the way we treat Jesus based on what we think of Jesus. And this man thought Jesus was someone he could manipulate, like he manipulated everyone else. And, you know, an official would use people, and if the person was used, he would return the favor. Right? This, there was, you know, whenever you had a person in power, it was a power exchange. Uh, if you give me your power, I will give you some of my power. I grew up most of my life thinking that Jesus was like that. I could use Jesus when I wanted. When I you know, I, I cannot remember how many times the night before an exam. You guys ever do this? Jesus, I need you now more than ever. If you I'm not even asking for an A because, uh, you know, I played volleyball with Fuji and Sam all night. I'm just asking you to help me pass this Greek exam. Just pass so I don't flunk out of seminary, please. Amen. I, and then what would happen? If I didn't flunk, okay, Jesus, I owe you one. I will go to early morning prayer for a week. Jesus, if uh, you do this for me, then I will do this for you. And in fact, Jesus, because you've done this for me, I will pay you back. Right? Jesus was, for those of you in the room who are Asian, Jesus was very Asian, wasn't he? Like, if someone takes you out to dinner, what do you got to do? You've got to pay for it the next time, don't you? Don't ever, ever let someone pay for you twice in a row. That is like the Asian faux pas of all, all faux pas. It's like, if you lose track of whose turn it is, my mother held a second wedding reception. Uh, we got, Gina and I, we got married in Virginia. She held a second wedding reception in New York. And I asked her, I was like, Mom, why are you, why are you doing this? She's like, All those people whose children's weddings I went to and gave presents to, Now they've got to give you a present, it's payback. And I was like, this is jacked up, but I don't know what to say. It was the Asian way. Maybe not. I don't want to, please don't be offended if you're not that type of Asian, but if you're that type of Asian, that's like, I got to, you know, you paid for me last time. Let me pay for you now. And we do that with Jesus. A lot of the times we think that our relationship with Jesus is the way that we relate to everyone else. A lot of times growing up, and even I struggle with it to this day, I have this impression that I can use Jesus when I want, and he is a means to my end. Is Jesus just a means to some other end in your life? Like if you if I were to say to you, What, what is the end of your life? What, what, what are what are like your hopes and dreams to, to get into I don't know, Stanford, right? And you know, you know, your dad went to church. And so, you know what, I'm going to go to church if I need to get into Stanford. I don't know what is your, and you know, to, to to have a very comfortable life, to pay off my mortgage, to have wedding bliss, I mean, marital bliss and and all of the above. And I know that if I become a Christian, God is able to give me that. I know that if I go to church, if your view of Jesus is like this official's view of Jesus, then that's exactly how you're going to act. And there's going to be a time where you say, Jesus, it's payback. For all that time, I, you know, I, you know, my arms hurt doing those body worship motions for just three songs. I don't. You guys must be so tired after a week of, you did that for a whole week, every night? I'm like tired. You guys are amazing. Yeah, I know. Amazing. Amazing. But for those of you who have had a horrible weekend, like after all of that, you got a speeding ticket or a huge fight with your spouse. And you're like, God, this is what you give me after giving you all my nights doing body worship. I can't. This is all I get from all of the work I did for you, God. You're treating Jesus the way that this official did. It's not a a quid pro quo and Jesus is not like that. And you think you know Jesus and that familiarity is not with the Jesus of the Bible. It's a cultural Jesus. It's a Jesus that you've created in your own image, much the same way that this official did. Now, you could probably relate with that, though, right? This contemptible familiarity. We, we treat our parents worse than we treat our friends sometimes. You know, we treat our siblings worse than we treat our friends. You know, they, they, something happens with that. We, in our pride, we we don't treat those close to each other, and we understand that. And so we look at the official and we're like, we, you know, it's understandable that he, that he did this. But I want to tell you, it, it was more than that for this official. It was uh, the, the official. What drove him to Jesus here was a certain type of desperation. And in my years and years of living and in my years and years of ministry, I've never seen the kind of desperation I've seen when I see a parent with a sick child. I pray that none of you have ever had to go through that. But if you've ever seen a father have to care for a child that's sick, and and this isn't just any, this is a sickness that he feared would lead to death. Have you ever been in that situation? If you have, then you know what kind of desperation this father had. It was an all out ultimate desperation. Like like the kind of desperation no one wants to talk about. The kind of desperation where you can't give any counsel to friends of yours that have that desperation. The kind of desperation when you're going through it, no one can say anything to, to comfort you desperation. And here was this official son and he comes to Jesus who he has a An inaccurate view of. He knows at least he can do some type of sign or wonder. That's all he knows. He still knows him as the carpenter's son. You know, he could probably name all of his brothers and sisters and and, and this and that. And so this father comes to Jesus in desperation and says, Jesus, heal my son. Come and heal my son. Walk 17 miles back to my home and heal my son. Some of you may be going through that desperation. It may not be because of a sick child. It may be because of a a loveless marriage or a failing marriage or a it could be because of some type of financial crisis you're going through. I, I really don 't know your demographic you've got to forgive me because most of the people I talk to are military, and so I know their trials and struggles. What are the trials and struggles of a norcal? Wellspring person, is it a? They run out of you ran you run out of charge in your Tesla. I I don't know what it is. (laughs) I've seen more Teslas here than I I cannot believe. How how many you guys drive Teslas? No, you don't. I I don't want to. I don't want to mock your desperation because some of you are. I know some of you guys are going through real desperation. Some of you are really struggling, and I want to tell you this. This is this is what's crazy. It took a dying child. To bring new life to this official. That's the crazy thing that's going on in this story. It took a dying son. It took this official to get to a place where he was so desperate that he went to Jesus. And when he went to Jesus, Jesus did something beyond this man's wildest dreams. And this man who didn't even realize he was lost was found. And this man who didn't even realize what he really needed, Jesus filled. And beloved, I'm gonna tell you something. Those desperate times in your life are not because God's abandoned you. It's not because you haven't done enough. It's not because, oh, you know, you only volunteer two out of the five kids' camp days, and so I'm only gonna bless you It's not God has forgotten you, God hates you, God is getting back at you for all the wrong that you've done. God does not have that kind of quid pro quo relationship with you. It's not the more sin you sin, then the more he will withhold from you and bring you into places of desperation. It doesn't work that way. In in, in God's mathematics, in, in God's economy, it's not like that. In fact, this desperation saves this man's life. I have a friend of mine who loves posting uh, pictures of his Ferrari on Instagram. Nothing wrong if you guys drive. I'm not going to judge you if you drive a Ferrari uh, or a Tesla, but um, he's very wealthy and he stopped attending church. And I think the two kind of correlated because at some point in his life, he he thought to himself, well, I, I have everything I need, so what, what can God provide, is kind of where he was at. And I remember having a conversation with him that kind of went like this. Uh, I said, uh, young, it's not the young that you know. Um, I said, young, I'm gonna pray for suffering in your life. And he was so angry with me, and I was a pastor, he was like, what kind of pastor would pray for suffering? And I was like a pastor who knows that God can use suffering to bring you closer to him. But C.S. Lewis says, pain is like a megaphone. When you're not paying attention, he uses pain to try to talk to us. And whatever desperation or suffering or pain that you're going through right now, beloved, I want to tell you this. God is not doing it because he hates you. God is not doing it because he's trying to exact some kind of payment from you. God is not causing that desperation in your life because he's trying to pay you back evil for evil. God does not do that. God is doing for the same reason he, he allowed this official son to almost die. He's trying to save you. He's trying to draw you closer to him. He's trying to get you to listen. And so uh, he listens. If, if you want to read a good book on, on suffering, there's a book by the, the title goes A Severe Mercy. I don't know if you've ever read that book. It's by a, a man by the name of Sheldon Van Auken. And it chronicles his life. Sheldon Van Auken was in an amazing marriage with his wife. Loved her. He, it was the most ideal marriage. He describes as fantastic marriage. And his wife and he they, they attended a church and she was saved and she became a Christian. And he started losing her to Jesus. She. He started realizing his wife loved Jesus more than she loved him. Rightly so. But he started to despise Jesus because Jesus was taking his wife away from him. And so, long story short, I'm gonna ruin this book for you, you don't have to read it anymore. Uh, his wife got sick and he starts to pray to God, God, don't take her away from me again. I, I, I understand maybe, are you doing this to punish me because I hated you? I don't hate you anymore. God, have mercy on me. And his wife died. But in his wife dying, he was saved. And Sheldon Van Auken tells a story about this severe mercy of God that even though he lost his wife, God saved his soul. And beloved, that is exactly what God does. Is he uses suffering toward a more and greater End in your life, and that is to to save you. Here is this official who all he wants to do for is is save his son. He talks to Jesus like he talks to a, a minion and, and and in his desperation, not knowing who Jesus is. And this is the craziest thing. As much as those two things are kind of crazy. It's understandable, right? It's understandable this whole familiarity breeds contempt. It's kind of understandable this, uh, a father's desperation. Every child, every parent should be desperate with wanting to save their child if they're sick. But the craziest part of this passage is this. Jesus actually heals this child. That That's, so let me rewind. This man came to Jesus in all the wrong ways, all the wrong ways. He comes to Jesus almost, you know, like, like he was over Jesus, like Jesus was his subordinate. And he comes to Jesus not, not to ask for salvation. He's not coming to Jesus and say, Jesus, I want to know more about eternal life, and I want to know about salvation, I want, you know, as my Lord and Savior— the man's salvation doesn't happen till the end of this passage. He does not come to Jesus in faith. Now, there are places in the Bible, there are places even in John, where you see that Jesus heals, and he praises people for their faith and their healing. There's this one passage where there's a centurion, and he comes to Jesus and says, Jesus, same thing, he's got a sick child. He says, please, my child is sick, can you heal him? And Jesus says to the centurion, okay, let's go. And and the centurion says, Jesus, no. I'm like you. I, I, I am a person with power, and I have authority over people. When I tell people to go, they go. When I tell people to come, they come. Just say the word, and I'll believe that you'll heal my son. And Jesus marvels at this man's faith. And he heals the centurion's son. That's not what's going on here. Jesus is not like, you know what, official? You are showing me so much honor and respect, and you're doing all the right things. You're praying in all the right ways, and therefore, I'm going to save your son. The man says everything the wrong way. Acts completely the wrong way. Acts a fool, and Jesus still saves him. Like, I'm so glad I'm not like Jesus. Like when people disrespect or like they don't like treat me in a way which I'm, I'm just like, what? The last thing I want to do is help them. I told this story in the first service. I, I wasn't going to tell it again. I'm, gonna, I'm just going to tell it again. When I was when I was when I was in the military and I came to a station in England at Milden Hall. My wing chaplain, I was there one week. I was brand new. We're st- sitting in a staff meeting, and he wanted to take the staff out for a staff lunch. He's like, oh, you know, let's, I don't know, let's go out for, like, some Thai food. And he looks over at me He says, hey, chaplain Am, could you give us a recommendation on, like, a good Thai restaurant? And I was like, what? I had just gotten there. I was like, "Ah," uh, I was like, uh, I, I don't know, sir. I was, and and I realized, oh, because 'cause I'm Asian, I know all the Asian restaurants within a 50 mile radius. Yes, sir. I've scattered out all the Asian restaurants. You know, Thai the Thai restaurant north of us five miles is the, is the best one. But actually, you know, the 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 Patsy U at the restaurant uh, six miles to our south is. I I, I had no idea. I I, I was still jet lagged, and this man was like, mm, what do you what do you what do you think? And and I, the last thing I wanted to do was help him. I was just like, uh, no, I don't know anything, sir. I don't know anything. For like three years, the man would send me these weird, he'd like clip out these like articles on North Korea and put them in my mailbox. And I'd, I'd go to my mailbox like, oh, what do I have? Uh, Kim Jong-un has launched another missile attack. And he'd be like, oh, I just thought you'd be interested in that. And I, for three years, I was like, what is going on with my boss? The last thing I wanted to do was help that man. he was disrespecting me. He didn't know who I was. I'm more than the color of my skin. Yes, I do like Thai food. (laughs) And I found out where the good Thai restaurants were, but it took me a while. (sighs) This man did everything wrong, and Jesus still healed his son. I'm like, what? I I, I don't know about you, if you consider yourself blessed. However, whatever you're living, and whatever you think blessing is, even if you think blessing is material right now, or a blessing is because you're in a marriage, or blessing is because you have children, or blessing is because you t- attend Wellspring, I don't know what you may think it is, but I'm gonna tell you this, it's not God's reward in your life for being a good person, especially not when it comes to your relationship with him. Beloved, you're not here And if you're growing in the Lord, you're you're not growing in the Lord because he looked at you and said, what are those two people's names? Ethan and Gracie. God did not say, Ethan and Gracie, you guys do amazing body worship. You're making Hank look like an old fool. And so I'm going to reward the two of you with an extra blessing. Hank, you are descending. (laughs) You can't even get your hands up. So you better step it up, Hank. Your body motion has to, you know what, John, you doubled your tithe this week, and so I was gonna give you a parking ticket, but really, I'm gonna take that away. That sounds silly, doesn't it? But why is it that every time there's some kind of suffering in our life, we're like, what did I do, God? Sometimes there's suffering because of something you did. Like if you smoked for 40 years and you got lung cancer, but you gotta, you gotta realize, beloved. It's not because God's heavy, God's heavy hand is on you because you did something wrong. And so the inverse of that is not if you've got some kind of blessing in your life, it's not because you prayed more than everyone else. Pastor Sam and Pastor Fuji and Sue and I, we we did not attend seminary because God looked into the crowd and said, "Ooh, you guys are, you guys are the best of the lot. Come into ministry. Become a pastor." I would say, a, you know. In in the two years that that Fuji picked me up, I still remember a station wagon, uh, that he came to Tufts to pick me up, I was there maybe about 10% of the time, and I'm trying to be generous, because the other times I just didn't wake up, or I I did something on Saturday night that made it so the Sunday morning was not going to happen. Every good thing that happens to you is not because of some good thing you did for God. And for this official what what's incredible here is his son is healed not because of any other reason except Jesus that's what he does he saves not because of what we did but in spite of it and you you may be in a place right now where you're so afraid and and you don't believe these words that you you and you're saying no 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 there's got to be some kind of incantation or some kind of like 12 steps that I've got to go through so that I can get what I want in life so that God will bless me. And I'm telling you, there isn't anything like that. It's not if you pray for an hour, you're going to get an, you know, a raise. It's not, it, there is no quid pro quo with God. God, in the same way that he heals, and, and this is what's crazy is he doesn't just heal this official son he saves the whole household. This is what it said, that when the son was healed, that the official and his whole household believed, kind of like what happened to that Samaritan woman. It's not just her. It's the whole town. And now it's not just him. It's his whole household. And and an official in that that time, it wasn't just one or two people. A household were dozens of people who came to faith and Jesus blessed this man and saved this household even when he was not asking for it. I hope all of your testimonies, for those of you who are Christians, aren't, you know, you know, unlike my, my neighbors and my friends and my family members who, who aren't Christians, I, I just, I thought about it and it made sense to me. And you know, unfortunately, they didn't think about it as hard as I did. Or I hope it's not like, you know, I, I, I got my act straight you know they—they—they're still—they're just not there yet. But I—I I, I just really took it seriously. They didn't take it so seriously. So therefore, I'm saved, right? Like I was looking for God. I went to God and I said, "God, save me." And God said, "You're the one. You're good. You found me." This man was so lost. He didn't even realize he was lost. He went to Jesus asking for something completely different. And Jesus went above and beyond. And beloved, I'm going to tell you this. I hope all of your testimonies are. In spite of the fact that I was so lost, God saved me. In spite of the fact that I said all my prayers completely wrong, and I did all of the wrong things, in spite of the fact that I was not even chasing after Jesus the way that I should have, he still found me. The reason why you can be confident of that is, the amazing thing about this story is there's not just one son who is dying, there is a son who is going to his death. And because of a son who dies on your behalf, you can be guaranteed that you will not die in your desperation. Because of a son who is completely misunderstood, you will be understood and known. Because of a son who shows love in the face of hatred, in the face of your hatred, you will get love. Beloved, I pray that today and every day that you live, you know, it's, it's a, I hope it's not a new message, but I hope it's a message that we hear and preach to ourselves and meditate on it every day. That the good news of Jesus Christ is this, that while we were still sinners, while we were dead in our transgressions, Jesus saved us. And in light of that, what are you going to do? I hope you don't think that, you know, hey, if I go to Spain, then maybe, maybe I can finally get that Tesla that Hank keeps talking about. Maybe if I go to Spain, then then I could go to Stanford. Maybe if I go to stay in Spain, then, 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 then my marriage will be fixed. Maybe if I volunteer at church, then, then, then maybe my, my kids will you know, respect me. Or whatever desperation you have, I'm going to tell you something. There is none of that in the economy of God. In the end, Jesus will bless you because he took the curse upon himself on the cross. In light of that good news, I pray that you would go and volunteer and pray and go on missions and spread that good news to all because Jesus loves you, not because you go. Jesus loves you because he came. Let's all bow our heads and close our eyes, and I wanna ask you this question again. Is the Jesus that you know the real Jesus? Beloved, are you Are you treating Jesus the way you treat other people in this world? You know, you'll scratch his back and he better scratch yours. He owes you because of all the stuff you've done for him. That's not the real Jesus. Lord, the Lord Jesus Christ is a God who came to us while we were lost. The Lord Jesus Christ is the one who came to us not because we were worthy of his presence, but he still came to us and he saved us, even though we did not call out to him. God, thank you for Jesus. I thank you that the good news of Jesus Christ is that we get to be united to Jesus, not by anything we do or anything we are, but because of what he has done and because of who he is. And because of that, it causes us to want to go to the ends of the earth, to sing praises from the mountaintop, to pray and to draw close to you because you drew close to us first. May that amazing news comfort us in our desperation. May that cause us to have a humility in our familiarity with you. And ultimately, O oh Lord, may that increase our faith every day we live. A faith that overflows in gratitude and joy regardless of our circumstance, regardless of what's happening. Because Jesus, you died, we live. We thank you, Jesus, and pray this All in your name. Amen.